Now, more tips with your host, Rebecca Rogers. Remember that in our program, we present our opinion and the opinion of our guest, and is not to be interpreted as medical advice. Thank you so much for joining us today here on Lifestyle Improvement for part two of our interview with Nancy Kreisman. Ms. Kreisman is a licensed clinical social worker and private practice practitioner who has worked with the geriatric population and their families for over 35 years. She has presented workshops on caregiving all across the United States and has taught courses in Kennesaw State University. She has also written three books, Mindful Connections, The Caring Spirit Approach to Elder Care, and The Mindful Caregiver, Finding Ease in the Caregiving Journey. And now, here is our guest, Nancy Kreisman, and our host, Rebecca Rogers. One important thing to say here is that what we're talking about is the kind of guilt that makes you dysfunctional, not, of course, uh, that sense that if something is wrong and if you're probably not performing or doing the best that you can, as far as doing the right thing as a caregiver, you know, then maybe you have some sense, oh, this is wrong, I shouldn't do that. We're not talking about that. We're talking about this guilt, almost self-punishment, that you're just not doing enough. That's the kind of guilt that I think we're talking about. Well, what I think happens is that, again, it's it, it has a lot to do with the entrenched caregiver beliefs that you hold on to. Some of these come from your family and from, you know, way back. Um, I, you know, I promised my mother or father that I would never put them in a nursing home or that I, you know, our spouse will say I promised I'd always be there no matter what. And, um, you know, so. I think that um, this is this is real, you know, caregiver guilt is very different from other kinds of guilt. And um, and it and again, I think it, it tends to be um, it, there's so many different things that infuse it, you know, like your cultural background, your religious beliefs, your family background, the societal expectations. And then, you know, what you end up believing in terms of your own self. And that's why I really talk a lot about learning how to be more self-full. So that self-full, because I never really did um, describe what it means, but it's essentially recognizing, yes, let's say as an example, your care recipient does need you to help them with certain things, but recognizing also that other people might be able to to help, that you don't have to do it all. And so being self-full is that you're not being selfish, you're still keeping in mind what the person needs, but you're also standing up for yourself and taking care of yourself too. And that's, let me give another example. And this is a personal example. And it actually had to do with my father. Um, My parents, um, my dad was remarried and lived in um, another state from me. And my stepmother was taking care of him and he had um, COPD and emphysema and some dementia. And she didn't tell me how much care he really needed physical care. So she calls me up one day and she says, Nancy, um, I'm going away for a week and you're coming down and you're taking care of dad, you know? And I said, okay, of course, because, you know, I said that. And then when I got quiet and I stepped back and I also found out that my father was having some incontinence issues and, you know, a lot of different things. I said to myself, I can't do this by myself. I don't, I don't want to be put in that. I can do certain things as a, as a, a you know, a female caregiver to him as his, his daughter, but 
So what I did, I, and that's where Selfful came in, because I said to myself, okay, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to call an agency down in Florida, and I will pay to have a caregiver be with me, you know, um, so that that person 24-7, so they can do the ADL care, the activities of daily living care, and I can just be his daughter. So I call her back on the phone, and I tell her this, and she hangs up on me. She's angry that I'm... She said, fine, I'll just stay home, you know? And so the point I'm making here is that sometimes being self-full is not easy. It isn't. (laughs) It isn't. And going back to that caregiver guilt, which seems to me, in my experience, based on the people I talk to all the time, is that it's almost defined as caregiver not doing enough. That it's just a root of caregiver guilt is that as a caregiver, you're just not doing enough or there's just something more you should be doing. And mindfulness helps you, again, to step back and, and look at your shoulds and your oughts. I mean, I have a whole section here where um, where I talk about, you know, looking at, you know, should I, you know, do I really have to do this? And am I the only one that has that can take care of my husband? And, you know, all these things that we say we have to or should, you know, caregivers also, especially spouses. And that and that's why there's a section in the book just for spouses, because there's something a little different, you know, in terms of especially those that were born between before 1945, you know, till death do us part. And I have actually seen caregivers die before the care recipient, you know, with heart disease. In fact, I remember, and it's important to share the story. I had a caregiver and she had come to my mindful caregiver workshop, bought my book and, you know, talked about the importance of, you know, being mindful and using mindfulness. She calls me on the phone and she leaves me a message that says, I don't want to be a mindful caregiver. That's what she left me. Well, I find out two weeks later, guess what? She had quadruple bypass surgery because she didn't want to pay attention what her body was telling her. She wasn't going to the doctor and getting checked out. And quite frankly, she's in worse shape now than her husband is. Oh my goodness, that's unfortunate. So this is a perfect place to ask, what are some of the most significant things that a person can do or a caregiver can do to become more mindful. You've mentioned lots of them. You started with the breathing, which I think is one of the most powerful things that that you can do to your body is to help your body breathe in a thoughtful way. That's how I kind of describe it because that's what it is for me. But give us some more ideas of things that caregivers can do to become more mindful or more aware. One of the things that you have to look at is surrendering. And, you know, it's not, surrender does not mean giving up, you know, giving up on the person, giving up on yourself as the caregiver. Surrendering is, again, looking at what's realistic and what isn't realistic and and really sitting down with yourself and and saying, you know, where can I surrender? You know, what, what, what about the caregiving that I'm providing? Can I, can I surrender, you know, and, and can I, be okay with not being perfect, you know? And so, so to me, surrendering helps you to develop more courage and strength. Um, you know, the serenity prayer, you know, I mean, I tell caregivers, if I could, I would tattoo that on, on their forehead, you know, um, it's something, and I have it in my book. It's important, you know, looking at how do you, again, how do you comfort yourself? It's amazing to me how many people 
don't really, I mean, they'll say some of the typical things, but they don't think about things like, like prayer. You know, prayer is very comforting. Music, again, being intentional. Mindfulness is about being intentional. So one of the things that I did, Atlanta has the worst traffic in the world. And, you know, I'm driving all over the place. And, and so I have, you know, CDs and now I have Sirius XM radio and listening to music that calms my spirit, that nurtures me. You know, sometimes I'll put on some, some, something jazzy, you know, or depending on what I feel I need in a way. You know, and it's sort of basic stuff, but people forget it. Uh, another one, rest. It's huge. And that's one of the first questions I ask, you know, my caregivers. I'll, I'll say to them, are you getting enough rest? And, and inevitably they say, no, I'm not. You know, and that's one of the first things you have to do is you've got to figure out a plan to make sure that the caregiver is getting rest. And rest, you know, I have a whole thing on rest. And it's interesting when you look at, you know, what rest does. I mean, it heals, it helps you to see the, it helps you to receive blessings, you know, helps you be more patient and compassionate. Um, It helps you appreciate, you know, like one of the gifts that my mother's illness gave me was rest. Because when I would go visit her, very often is she was losing more of her, her verbal communication skills. I'd take her outside as much as I could. And she was not a nature person, but let me tell you, she she began to appreciate because she learned dementia taught her to be in the moment. And so the two of us, I'd say to her sometimes, mom, it's the best thing. I get to sit for an hour and just be with you and hold hands and just be in the moment with you and watch the hummingbirds. And, you know, rest is a powerful thing. And people, I mean, our culture, look at our culture, look at European cultures. You know, we don't take vacations. Caregivers, they have to take vacations. This is your host, Rebecca, and now we will take a short break, and we will be right back with more ideas on lifestyle improvement. As a caregiver, you spend your days caring for the needs of someone else. But what are you doing to help yourself? In our Caregiver Survival 101 workshop, we teach you the self-help skills that will empower you to be healthier and more productive. Do you feel tired, overwhelmed, have difficulty sleeping? Do you feel isolated? All this could be signs of caregiver stress. Chronic stress can impact your health adversely and ultimately cause irreversible and unwanted physical problems. Take a step towards your own personal care. A healthy caregiver is a better caregiver. You owe it to yourself and your loved ones to do what is needed to stay healthy today. Go to www.caregiversurvival101.com. That again is www.caregiversurvival101.com. And discover how we can help you help yourself. Or call 877-957-7387, extension 101. That again is 877-957-7387, extension 101. Caregiver Survival 101, because care starts with you. Caregivers, they have to take vacations. It's not... It's not an option. There, there's a shoot that we can use. Absolutely. And, you know, and this is what they say to me. Well, first of all, what if something happens? And, and so I try to help caregivers come up with a plan. Okay. 
And there's plenty of ways to come up with plans. But then the second thing is they feel guilty. How can I go on a cruise or how can I go here or there or anywhere without my husband? Or, you know, I'm not, in fact, I even experienced this with my mom. I felt guilty going on a 10 day vacation. In fact, so much so that I told the caregivers at the nursing home that I felt guilty and that I was feeling bad about leaving her for 10 days. And you wanna know the best thing ever? They said to me, Miss Nancy, it's fine. We'll take care of her. And the reason I knew they would do that is because of another section in my book about learning how to be a partner in care. You know, the whole idea of when somebody, because a lot of folks end up in assisted living and nursing homes and things like that, is learning how to partner with the staff. Again, they're a circle of support for you. I'm glad you mentioned that because I was going to ask you about that. I wanted to go back really quick to the surrender, though, because I think the surrender part is also a very challenging part for caregivers. They always feel they need to be in control. I think that for me, let go and let God is huge because truly it's that letting go that allows you to be able to surrender. The surrender, letting go, letting go, surrender, one or the other. We have to come to that place where we actually are willing to realize that we're not in control of everything and that we have to let go. And for me, again, let God, because sometimes things are beyond our ability to change or to control or to even improve. Sometimes when the loved one is dying, you want to do something to make it better and you just can't. And that's the part where you have to do the surrendering. So I thought that was really important that you mentioned that. Yes. And and it again, it's it, it's probably one of the most important um, self-care uh, tools or what, not tools, but it's so important. And, and, and I never found it. I have to tell you, I read so many caregiver books and I just didn't hear people talking about that. And, um, and again, I think that there is a caregivers put a lot on themselves in terms of expectation. And, you know, and I'll tell you another one that this, I love, I found a book when I was researching for this book, I was really trying to pull in as many possible resources for folks as I could. So I found this book called Getting to a Positive No, and I loved it um, because, and I have a section in my book around it, because caregivers have a hard time saying no. Again, it, a lot of it is worry or guilt or whatever. And the, the sweetest thing that happened, I was doing a mindful caregiver workshop, and I had a group of folks, caregivers in my audience, and it was around Christmas time. And we were talking about a positive no, and I said to them, you know what? You just have to say no. I'm not going to have Christmas at my house this year. And I said, and I said to them, and you know what you can do? You can just go to Publix and order something and, you know, and bring it to somebody else's house or go to a restaurant. The sweetest part of the whole thing was that one, one caregiver said, that's exactly what I'm going to do. And then another one said, I'm on this train too. And the next one, and it was so empowering to, you know, which is why another piece of self-care is finding a support group for yourself. And sometimes, you know, it's not always support groups because it depends on who's in the group and who's the leader and all that. But, you know, the reason AA is so, I think, does such a great job for folks is that they have a partner. You know, if you can, it, it, caregivers need to find a partner, somebody. I, 
I always tell my clients that I'm sort of their um, personal trainer. I'm reminding them, and they don't have to come every week, you know, but I'm reminding them of these practices, you know, of the mindfulness practice, because it is a practice. Places of worship as well can be great support places where people can come to find solace and support. And let me say this, in my book, I, I keep on bringing this up in my book, but because I didn't find it everywhere. Um, so my book has talks about religion. And um, one of the things that I found was that just because I happen to be Jewish, I find Amazing Grace a very beautiful song and very um, soothing to me. And I found out that it's sung in so many different languages and, you know, country version and a jazz version and all that. And, and the point I'm making is that religion has a way of also helping you become mindful, a section on prayer. And I, I, I prayed with my mom and she was not a religious person, but I'll tell you one time she was so agitated and upset. She was watching a baseball game and, and she literally thought the ball hit her in the head and she was holding her head and telling the staff she had to go to the hospital and they couldn't calm her down. And so I went over there. Luckily I was around. I went over there She had ice pack on her head, right? And I said, Mom, I have an idea. Before we go to the hospital, let's go into the chapel and let's just ask, talk to God and see if God can help you feel a little bit more at ease. And she said, okay. So I wheeled her in there with her. You know, she had that ice pack on her head. And we, you know, I said some prayers with her. And I'm telling you, it distracted her. She she took the ice pack off, you know, and it was great. And she completely forgot. So another one of your books, Nancy, is called Meaningful Connections. What is this book about? I don't know which one I love better in a way because I'm so passionate about this stuff. I, it just matters so much to me. <sighs> Meaningful Connections, this was another thing. And, and this really evolved out of my own experience with my mom with her dementia, but also the, you know, 36 years that I've been in the trenches working with people living with dementia and with their caregivers. And the thing that I, again, I'm going to talk about spirit a little bit because what I found, I'll never forget this one. Mom was sitting at the nursing home at the table waiting for lunch. And I was sitting with her and and most of the residents had their heads down And my mother turns to me and she says very clearly, I think everybody around here is dead. And what I know she picked up on was the spirit. You know, people were dead. And um, and that's when that's one prompted me to write the caring spirit book that I did in 2005. But it also helped me recognize the importance of connection and, and that it be meaningful that people, you know, people need to. When you're when you're feeding somebody because they can't feed themselves, you can still stay. You can connect to them. You know, I remember the sweetest. Another sweet thing. I have all these wonderful, sweet things that have happened to me. This is such a blessing, this work. Um, One of my clients that I was working with in a nursing home couldn't feed herself. And she she came. um, She lived in Boston, loved lobster, just loved it. So I would say to her every time I was feeding her a spoonful of something, just think about this as lobster. You know, and we talk about how she would eat lobster and cook it and all this stuff. When she died, her family gave me a stuffed lobster, little stuffed animal that I still have to this day. But, you know, it's about connecting to people. People, just because people have dementia does not mean that their spirit and their heart 
can't still remain connected. And I think probably when our loved ones develop dementia, it brings us to a place where we can appreciate and acknowledge the priceless meaning of that relationship and connection. Here's the important part about my Meaningful Connections book, is that people get stuck in the loss and the losing. And they, they, they need to be reminded and encouraged that there are many other opportunities to, to reconnect and to, like a great example, my mother was a wonderful dancer and she was not afraid to get out there and just do whatever, you know? And I, I was more of the serious kid, you know, I was the first child, the daughter. And, but when my mom developed dementia and she got to a point where she couldn't remember so well and all that, she still loved dancing. And so one day I just, I brought some music and I just started dancing with her. You know, because I used to be so self-conscious of how I looked when I was dancing or whatever. It doesn't matter. The point is we had a blast. Her dementia opened so many doors for me in, about myself, you know, that I never would have done before. I mean, you know, we would just say these silly limericks together and then just crack up, you know, and it gave me permission. You know, that's another thing that I have in my Mindful Caregiver book. And I also have meaningful connections, the importance of laughter and humor and being intentional about bringing laughter and humor into your life. When people have dementia, oftentimes as their dementia gets worse and all, their frontal lobe doesn't work so well. And so their impulse control and, you know, the way they sort of see the world, you know, is just whatever. So take advantage of it. Enjoy it. Be silly. So that's the power of, of your book. That you're emphasizing that, yes, when a loved one has dementia, you, you go through that grieving process of losing that person. But what you're saying is there is such great value to connecting to them minute by minute and who they are right now. Correct? Absolutely. And but you have to be you have to be willing as a caregiver or anybody that's visiting with somebody that has dementia spending time to surrender parts of yourself because, you know, we always want to be a certain way. You know, I'll tell you, this is the, the best thing that happened just recently. I went to see a gentleman in a nursing home. While I was with him, there was another gentleman sitting next to him who I used to go and visit and I'd always hug him and, you know, say hello and, you know, we'd sing together. And he was really very, um, I mean, he was needing to be fed now. He, you know, he was in a wheelchair and all this. He saw me, his eyes turned to me. And I looked back to him and I said, you know my spirit, don't you? And he had the biggest smile. He did. And I'm telling you, just because people lose their short-term memory, even some of their long-term, you know, when people would say to me, well, your mother doesn't know you anymore. So why do you visit with her? Because she knows my spirit. She knows my heart. She knows you know, she knows it's a loving person visiting with her. Besides the fact of what you just explained, being present, being in the moment, trying to find those valuable moments in which you can make special memories. What else do you think the caregivers need to have as part of their own ability to cope? Well, I mean, <clears throat> you have to be able to recognize that you are doing you know, what we call anticipatory grieving, you know, and so you have to give yourself the space and time. You have to make the time to feel sad and to, and to allow yourself to 
you know, there are times I can remember sitting in my garden and just thinking about the sadness of, of Alzheimer's and, and how, you know, there are some things about it that are cruel and sad and, and upsetting, you know. Um, but I also decided to myself that I don't want to dwell there. You know, I, I as a caregiver or, or as a person, you know, trying to connect with somebody who has dementia, I have, I can choose how I'm going to see this person in this, in this disease or this condition. Remember that in our program, we present our opinion and the opinion of our guest and is not to be interpreted as medical advice. What if there was a way to help your struggling child perform better academically? Would you pick up the phone and call? Lysol Improvement Occupational Therapy Services in Puyallup, Washington, supports wellness and optimal educational performance. Instead of just reteaching information, we endeavor to identify the possible root causes for your child's learning difficulties. We offer targeted testing to assist in the creation of an individualized plan and provide you with the brain training tools that can help improve academic performance. Visit our website at www.lifestyleimprovement.com or give us a call today at 877-957-7387, extension 101. That again is 877-957-7387, extension 101, for an initial free phone consultation. Lifestyle Improvement Occupational Therapy. We're ready to partner with parents and to help your child succeed. Thank you so much for joining us today here on Lifestyle Improvement for part two of our interview with Nancy Kreisman. Ms. Kreisman is a licensed clinical social worker and private practice practitioner who has worked with the geriatric population and their families for over 35 years. She has presented workshops on caregiving all across the United States and has taught courses in Kennesaw State University. She has also written three books Mindful Connections, The Caring Spirit Approach to Elder Care, and The Mindful Caregiver, Finding Ease in the Caregiving Journey. Don't forget to join your host, Rebecca Rogers, again next Sunday morning at 7.30 for part three of our interview with Nancy Kreisman.